today. So you're all aware of, you know, I, I'm a little OCD, so when I, get when I take off on something, there's like, that's, that's all you're going to get for a while. And, and that's going to happen to all of you today. Okay. We're going to start Isaiah 63. Next week, we'll finish with the last few verses of chapter 63, and then we'll go to, through all of 64 to the finish next week. Now, there are only 66 chapters in Isaiah, okay? And um, so we're really getting close to the end here. Now, you've, you've heard Bill refer to the servant song. So I, I actually had to go dig up where, where all of these were. So let's talk a moment for, about the, the servant songs in Isaiah. And the first four anointed servant songs in Isaiah are really well known. And they're broadly documented. And so if you want to write these down, um, Isaiah 42, 1 through 6. Isaiah 42, 1 through 6. And the second one is Isaiah 49, 1 through 6. Isaiah 49, 1 through 6. The third one is Isaiah 50, 4 through 9. Isaiah 50, 4 through 9. And then the one that we all know, right? Isaiah 52, 13 to 53, 12. Isaiah 52, 13 to 53, 12. And that's the big one. Now, most commentators stop at that point, at, that point, at the end of Isaiah 53. But when you look at a passage like in Isaiah 59, from the middle of Isaiah 59 all the way to um, 60:22, it's pretty apparent that that is a song also of the anointed servant also. So these latter songs might look like this, all right? So Isaiah 59:15 to 60:22. That's 59:15 to 60:22. And this is the promise of God's judgment and salvation and the spirit-filled covenant mediator. All right. The next one would be Isaiah 61, 1 through 9. Isaiah 61, 1 through 9. And the anointed one here brings salvation and justice. All right. The third one is Isaiah 61, 10 to 62, 7. Isaiah 61, 10 to 62 7 and in this one the anointed one does the work of salvation and justice and the one that we're going to look at today we're going to look at the fourth one this is Isaiah 63 1 through 6 Isaiah 63 1 through 6 this is the fourth one in the latter half and this is the promise of final judgment and salvation and death to God's enemies now after each one of these anointed servant songs, there's an outro piece to each one. And these outro pieces sing of the coming of glorious Zion. So here's where the outro pieces are. Glorious Zion, all right? Isaiah 60, 1 through 22. Isaiah 60, 1 through 22. And this one is all the nations gather from the ends of the earth. It, it, you go look this up, this is actually really cool where it does this, all right? So Isaiah, the second one, Isaiah 61, 5 through 9. Isaiah 61, 5 through 9. The Lord's people are priests who receive joy from God. All right, 
Isaiah 62, 8 through 12. Isaiah 62, 8 through 12. That's the third one. The church is gathered in security before the Lord. And later on, today, we'll start this one. Isaiah 63, 7 through 66, 24. All right. Isaiah 63, 7 through 66, 24. And this final piece, this final song, is an extended outro singing of glorious Zion. So as we go through today's message, watch for evidence of the, the, these two final songs of judgment and salvation and the end of the Lord's enemies and then the opening of the outro singing of glorious Zion. And keep in mind that Isaiah, you know, this is 760-some years before Jesus comes. And Isaiah is delivering this message to the people of Israel. And they're worried about, you know, the Assyrians and the Babylonians at the, at the gates. And here's, here's Isaiah talking about this stuff that, Isaiah, what are you talking about? Don't you see? The Assyrians are out there at the gates. Isaiah kept singing about Jesus. Okay, Isaiah 63, verse 1. The day of the Lord's, the Lord's day of vengeance. Sorry, the Lord's day of vengeance. Who is this who comes from Edom in crimson garments from Basra? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his spirit. It is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. So when you hear those words, I mean, the immediate thing I think of is, uh, this is God speaking. Isaiah may be saying these words, but it's God speaking through Isaiah, right? So the reference to Basra is an interesting one. And, and if you go Google this, there, you can go down the rabbit hole really fast. Because it turns out Basra is over in Jordan. The village today is known as, as Busaria, and it lies in western Jordan, and it's the site of a huge major archaeological dig. I mean, they, they have like resurrected these, these homes in this area and, and gone in, and they, they were more like apartments, right? You'd have this, this family would be in this one, and Another family would be next door on each side, and they had this, and they multiple stories maybe in their particular living in their dwelling. Um, the ruins there date to about 800 BC, so right through the time of Isaiah. Now, um, and obviously he knew of the place. He's talking about it here. Basra's archaeological dig shows evidence of rubble having fallen during a great earthquake. And the archaeologists think this rubble is from the great earthquake during King Uzziah's reign in about 760 B.C. All right? Zechariah 14.5. Zechariah 14.5. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and the holy ones with him. 
Okay, so that's what the prophet Zechariah says. King Uzziah is reported to be a good king, although being human, he's far from perfect. Isaiah says in 6, 1 through 6, Isaiah 6, 1 through 6. And I love the opening to this one because you're going to know right away. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, and two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is terrified right here, right? Finally, it closes. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And this is what happens to Isaiah. Let's return to Basra. Genesis 36, 31 to 33. Genesis 36, 31 to 33. These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the Israelites. So this is before King Saul. This is during the period of the judges. All right. Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom the name of his city being Dinaba. Bela died, and Joab, the son of Zerah, of Basra, reigned in his place. This is the first occurrence of Basra in the Old Testament. Moses knew of this place. Let's continue our passage in Isaiah 63 now, because we're talking about Basra. So verse 2, why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? So here we have Basra once again. Amos 1.12. Amos 1.12. So I will send fire upon Teman, and it shall devour the stronghold of Basra. Jeremiah 49.13, Jeremiah 49.13. For I have sworn by myself, declares the Lord, that Basra shall become a horror, a taunt, a waste, and a curse, and all her cities will be perpetual waste. And Isaiah, Isaiah 34.6. The Lord has a sword, it is sated with blood, it is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. The Lord will make Basra a wasteland. 
Basra is in Edom. Now, Edom, you have to imagine, Jerusalem is on the mountaintop, and you go down the mountain to the Dead Sea. The, at the south end of the Dead Sea is a broad level plain. On the far southeast side of the plain, there I would call them hills. The Bible calls them mountains. And this is the land of Edom. And Edom is related to the Israelites, but they are outside the covenant people. And Edom is where Basra, the city of Basra, is there. And the Lord makes Basra a wasteland. So verse 3. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood splattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. So here in verse 3, it is the intention of the Lord to blot out Basra. And the Lord is the one who does this alone. No one stands up to assist in the battle against Basra. The Lord does it on his own. And there is none to help the Lord. Continuing on, verse 4. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. So here in verse 4, it's God's plan to blot out Basra, and afterwards, the year of redemption comes. Judgment, then redemption. Judgment, and then redemption. We're going to come back to this. It's a recurring theme. Judgment and then redemption. Verse 5. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. So when I hear that, I know immediately this is God talking. Again, God is speaking through Isaiah. The people of Basra are the enemies of God, and none of the Israelites stood with God, so God does it himself. And the arm of the Lord then brings salvation afterwards. Continuing on, verse 6. I trampled down the peoples in my anger, I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Here again, the image of Basra and the human destruction. This closes the passage of destruction, of judgment. This ends the song of the anointed one. While we reflect on the death of those who lived in Basra, remember they are the Lord's enemies. And here the anointed one, full of the Spirit of God, brings redemption. So as Christians, we see this as the payment Jesus pays to bring redemption. It can only come with blood and death. The perfect justice of the Lord demands it in order to bring salvation. So having ended the song of judgment, what follows is the song of glorious Zion. So when you look at this, 
and you stop and think of the death that is necessary in order for redemption to come. This is Jesus walking up on the hill for us. And then his resurrection. So that's the end of the song of the anointed one. So now we have the opening of the song of this outro about glorious Zion. Listen for it. So here in verse 7, the Lord's mercy remembered. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel, that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Here we have the steadfast love of the Lord, and we know this to be manifest in the love of Jesus for us, the people of God. And to bring us salvation, to pay the price, to redeem us, that is why Jesus comes. And in the abundance of the love of the Lord is why Jesus does this. Verse 8. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their Savior. Verse 8. Surely they are my people, and he became their Savior. As Christians, we immediately leap to the image of Jesus here, and rightly so. But how, I wonder how, when Isaiah is delivering this message, how is it received? How do they understand this? Do they even think about it? Are they more worried about the Assyrians at the gate, or the Babylonians at the gate? I know I'd be worried about that, right? I'd be worried about the wrong things. Verse 9. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. In their affliction, he was afflicted. Again, the image of Jesus. We are afflicted with sin. It's the ship's anchor that's tied around our necks. And Jesus takes all of that upon himself and carries it up Calvary's hill. And the Father turns his face away, and the priceless, innocent, holy, and pure Son of the Lord dies, carrying the weight of our sins upon himself. And he does this so that we can stand before the Father, and the Father sees his Son, his beloved Son, instead of seeing us in our filthy rags for who we really are. Jesus becomes the propitiation for our sins, and Jesus carries us all of our days, and he carried all of those who came before and all of those who come after. Verse 10, But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, Therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Those who grieve the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven. They remain the hated enemies of the Lord all their days. Verse 11. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea and the shepherds of his flock? 
Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? The Anointed One remembers Moses and the people of the church of Israel. And the Lord brings them across the sea with their flocks. Again, I've talked about there's these references where God is saving the animals as well as the people. And this is one of those. God is saving man and beast. And the Lord puts his Holy Spirit in our midst. The Lord is the one that does this. Verse 12, God's arm again. Who has caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name? The salvation of the Lord is celebrated by the people of the church of Israel, of Zion. And still, to this day, the Jewish people celebrate their salvation from Egypt. And they don't understand the metaphor, the leap that you make from there to Jesus dying on the cross. That doesn't compute to their brains. But we know immediately we see that as a message of Jesus. Verse 13. Who led them through the depths like a horse in the desert? They did not stumble. Who was it that leads us through the trials? Again, we see the anointed one and the celebration of glory of Zion, of Israel. This is what our job is, to celebrate. Verse 14. Like livestock that go in, down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led our people to make for yourself a glorious name. Like livestock that go into the valley, a peaceful pastoral image, the plains of fresh grass, the Spirit of the Lord gives us rest and peace Jesus is the one who leads us to make for the Lord a glorious name. This closes our passage this week, but I want you to notice the juxtaposition of the anointed servant and glorious Zion every time. The anointed servant is Jesus, of course, and glorious Zion is the collective God's people, the church. Jesus and his church. When we stop and think about Jesus and his church, look here at what the Apostle John says right near the end of his life. Revelation 21, 9 and 10. Revelation 21, 9 and 10. Then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. We are that church. We are the bride of Christ, cherished and celebrated by the Lord. We are the new Jerusalem. So next week we will continue with the redemption of the church. We have an awesome opening to chapter 64, and I'm still digging, looking forward to that. And so God brings judgment and then redemption. 
Isaiah proclaims that something different is happening, that there is a new thing coming, that God is going to do something new. The Lord makes the ways of righteousness and justice. God is bringing it to all peoples, and all the nations of the earth will come to God's mountain. God is wholly just, and God is wholly faithful. God knows what the great problem is, the problem of sin. The enemies of God want to capitalize on that. But Jesus comes and fixes it. God is bringing all the peoples, all the nations. God knows that the only way that sin can be atoned for, for the redemption of God's people and for the salvation of God's people, God knows the one who paid for all sins, from eternity past through the present to eternity in the future. God knows, and God knows only his son is just and true and can stand in the gap for the sins of all of God's people. Jesus is the one who saves us, the servant and the crown prince, seated at the right hand of the Father, the eternal king, not created, not made, forever sovereign. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what an incredible image. And Lord, we, we wonder how much of this did Isaiah understand when he's delivering this message. Heavenly Father, when I get to heaven, I want to ask Isaiah what he understood and what he didn't. And what was a surprise for him when he finally got to heaven and saw it all, the way it was laid out, about how Jesus comes to save God's people, to save the church. How amazing is your plan, Lord, the plan of redemption and salvation for all of God's people. How incredible. Lord, we thank you and we praise you we ask you to carve the words of Isaiah on our minds and our hearts so that we do not forget that we remember. We love you, Jesus. Amen.